four of the most legendary words in Stanford men's basketball history. And he was fouled. Well, he joins us on this week's episode of the TreeCast with Troy Clarity, presented by the Believe Podcast Network. Wednesday, April 8th, 2020. Hope it's uh, going well for you so far. Hope we can do whatever we can to uh, make it even better for you. And I, I think we can. <laughs> I really think we can. I'm Troy Clarity. Thank you so much for checking us out uh, on the TreeCast for this week. And our special guest coming up in a few minutes, the one, the only, Mark Mad Dog Madsen. Of course, one of the all-time greats in Stanford men's hoops in the late 90s. Now he's the head coach at Utah Valley. Certainly a lot of interesting things on his plate right now as a head coach of a Division I uh, program in this day and age. Interested to get his thoughts on what he's up to with uh, the Wolverines at uh, Utah Valley. And uh, also, we're, you know we're going to look back at uh, some of his uh, great moments uh, in his Stanford career. So, Mark Madsen, our scheduled guest, our special guest on this week's TreeCast. Can't wait to dive into that with you. In case you're new to the show, hey, thanks for thanks for being with us. I certainly appreciate it. You can follow me on Twitter at Troy Clarity. Last time I spelled C-L-A-R-D-Y. At Troy Clarity is the way to go uh, to give me the follow on Twitter. I recommend that. I also recommend if you have any thoughts on the show, ideas for content. I always appreciate those, especially especially in this day and age. Uh, hashtag TreeCast on Twitter. Hashtag TreeCast. That's the best way uh, to ensure that I see uh, your thoughts on uh, Stanford sports, uh, Stanford football, uh, which is what this uh, podcast uh, normally focuses on. But of course, we're we're broadening our horizons here a little bit uh, in this day and age. But anything that you got, uh, I certainly uh, welcome those thoughts. Hashtag TreeCast. Thanks to our partnership with the Believe Podcast Network, you can hear the TreeCast pretty much anywhere you get your favorite podcast from. Apple Podcasts has been on board from the very beginning, Google Play, uh, iHeart. Great to have Spotify and Stitcher in the mix. And you can even ask Alexa, hey, play the TreeCast with Troy Clarity. I did it not too long ago. It was actually kind of cool. Thanks, Alexa. Appreciate that. But uh, thanks most of all to you for checking us out uh, on the TreeCast this week. Mark Madsen coming up in a few moments. But first, as we normally do, we get you three things you need to know normally about Stanford football. But we're going to kind of widen the shot here a little bit and give you three things you need to know across Stanford sports right now. Let's start with number one. Well, this bit of news actually came out just a couple of hours after we posted our last TreeCast uh, last week. Great chat with Casey Tuhill, by the way. Really enjoyed that. Looking forward to the NFL draft coming up um, in a couple of weeks. But uh, this piece of news came out a couple of hours after we posted uh, that uh, episode of the TreeCast. Uh, Stanford University canceling all on-campus residential programs and summer session will be online only. This, of course, will have an effect on conditioning and strength training for the fall sports. Obviously, football top of mind. And athletes were told to return home once the campus started shutting down in mid-March. So without the students able to be on campus residentially during the summer and having to, have to take summer classes online only, that could very well have an effect on how things look this upcoming fall. 
So something to keep an eye on as uh, we, we try to try to get the college football season off and the fall sports season off on time. Uh, starting to have some skepticism as, as to whether uh, that is going to be able to be pulled off. Hopefully that changes. Hopefully that changes. Let's get to number Tyrell Terry. Fantastic freshman season for Stanford men's basketball. Fantastic enough for him to test the NBA draft waters. That uh, coming out earlier this week. Terry was terrific. Named All-Pac-12 and to the All-Pac-12's All-Freshman team uh, earlier this season. The first Stanford player to do that since Brooke Lopez did in 2007. So pretty lofty achievement there for Mr. Terry. Terry averaged 14.6 points per game, four and a half rebounds per game, and just over three assists per game. But maybe even most impressively, he was the Pac-12 top free throw percentage shooter. Free throws, obviously a big time key uh, to success. Now, Terry can withdraw his name by June 3rd, that'll be 10 days after the scouting combine is done, and still not lose eligibility. So that is still uh, on the table for him. Uh, should he uh, wish to come back, he will not lose eligibility. Uh, he should be okay there if he wants to, but playing in the NBA is a dream of his. And the NBA draft is scheduled for June 25th, as of now. Either way, best of luck to Tyrell Terry going forward. And finally, let's get to number three. Here's a football alumni note for you. Zach Hoffpower, remember him? Boy, I loved watching him play, both football and, uh, and baseball um, as well. Hard-hitting safety for the Cardinal in the secondary and, and a hard hitter uh, as, a, as a Cardinal outfielder as well just a few years ago. Well, Hoffpower is now a safeties coach at Northern Colorado. That was announced earlier this week. Northern Colorado's head coach, by the way, Ed McCaffrey. You might be familiar with him, and if not him, if he was a bit before your time, as he was a little bit before mine, uh, certainly you know all about his son, one of his sons anyway, Christian McCaffrey. Ed McCaffrey named the head coach at Northern Colorado last December. And I found it interesting going through some of the other names of note uh, on McCaffrey's staff. Former Stanford offensive lineman Brendan Austin, old number 74. He wore that number for Stanford from 2011 to 2015. He's the offensive line coach for Northern Colorado now. Uh, Max McCaffrey, one of Ed's sons, is the wide receivers coach. Former Oregon State quarterback Lyle Moivau, remember him? Played about 10, 12 years ago or so. Uh, he is now the running backs coach at Northern Colorado. And Dave Baldwin is uh, the Bears' offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach. Uh, I remember him as a real thorn in Stanford's side when Baldwin uh, was the head coach at San Jose State and the Spartans got Stanford a couple of times um, in the late 90s. But, and I didn't realize this, Dave Baldwin was a Stanford assistant coach. Matter of fact, he was actually Ed's position coach at Stanford in the late 80s and early 90s. So kind of cool to see uh, some football alumni doing big things in the coaching ranks, not just in football, but in basketball too. More on that in a second, but those are three things. I love this song. I, I really do. I'm not really the biggest Steve Miller band guy, but there are a couple of songs in their category, uh, their catalog that I do that I do really like, and this is one of them. And that was even before the Stanford band adopted it 
as the anthem of Maples Pavilion back in the day. Every time I hear this song, I, I go back to that. The, the team's being introduced, the crowd rising to a crescendo. Good times, good times. And in, in, in specific, it takes me back to the heyday of Stanford men's basketball with our special guest on this week's TreeCast playing a starring role. Two-time first-team All-Pac-10, first-round draft pick of the L.A. Lakers, had a nine-year NBA career with the Lakers and the Minnesota Timberwolves, and a two-time NBA champion as well, currently the head coach of the Utah Valley Wolverines. Man, what a pleasure and an honor to be joined right now on the TreeCast. Come on and dance with Mark Madsen. Mark, thanks a bunch. How you doing today? Troy, doing great. Th thanks for having me on the show. Um, great to kind of reconnect and just do something like this because, yeah, I mean, the last two or three weeks have been, <clears throat> uh, they've been different than any of us have ever experienced. And so it's nice to just reconnect with, with you, with Stanford, think about some fun memories and, and realize that we'll get back to playing basketball soon. I don't know when it's going to be, but I know it's going to be soon. Yeah, yeah. And let's, let's go back to, to March 12th. You guys were in Las Vegas in the WAC tournament. Uh, you were supposed to be playing Seattle U that day. Obviously, that didn't happen. Take me through that day and, and maybe the next couple days as you remember it as things unfolded. Yeah, well, I mean, <clears throat> we were excited. We, we had really been playing well late in the season. We felt like we had a lot of momentum going into the tournament. I know our players were excited. They, they felt, and I felt, that we had a chance to win the whole tournament just based on how we were playing. And so the night before our game, we, we went to watch our women's team play. You know, there's a good sense of support in, at UBU. You know, the women support the men, the men support the women. And so we went to watch the first half of the women's game and we walked out, went to dinner. And that night I started getting text messages and phone calls from an administration saying, you know, we may play the game tomorrow against Seattle with no fans in the stand. But then it turned into, hey, there, there's been a hitch. One of the Bakersfield players is showing symptoms of, of coronavirus. And then the next morning at 8.30, they called and they canceled it. Um, our, our seniors were devastated. They had worked so hard. I mean, they've worked so hard their entire basketball career as a student athlete. So they were crushed. I was crushed for them. And I, I remember bringing the guys down to the breakfast meeting and, and I gave them the news and, and I said, okay, guys, look, this is the deal. Um, if your parents are here, you can go with your parents. I'll release you to your parents. Otherwise we're getting on that bus in two hours and we're driving back to Orem, Utah. And that bus drive back was somber. It, it was because guys, guys felt sad there was a sadness, but Hey, life goes on. This is a hard time for a lot of people. People have died. People are sick, but I think now we're starting to see, um, a lot at the end of the tunnel, but, but I feel especially, you know, just aware of the community that's most vulnerable, which is people a little bit more advanced in age. Yeah. How have things kind of shifted? How have your responsibilities kind of shifted? I mean, normally uh, this time of year, you might be into recruiting and all those sorts of things. You probably still are perhaps, but you know, how have things kind of shifted for you responsibility wise over the last few weeks? Well, I mean, Troy, right now you and I are here on zoom having a great conversation <laughs> I, I didn't know zoom existed neither did i <laughs> <laughs> zoom, they're, they're, i mean their, their office christmas party this year is going to be off the hook with all the dough they're making right now <laughs> right. exactly 
Yeah, so I mean, I mean, look, we, we've been doing a lot of meetings, recruiting meetings over Zoom, and we've been fortunate. We've, we've gotten two commitments from really good players. But it's different. You know, in the past, recruiting, you're, you're getting up early, you're getting on a Delta flight, a Southwest flight, and you're flying to California, you're flying to the Midwest, you may be flying to the East Coast to meet with student athletes, prospective student athletes, players, their families, their coaches. Um, and now you're doing it all over the phone. And so it's, it's different, but it, it's also a great opportunity. We've, my staff and I, we've really dived into studying film of recruits, um, just of, of different aspects of the game that we want to hone in on and improve. And so it's, it's been different. You were named the head coach at the Utah Valley. Uh, you're coming up on the one-year anniversary. It was April the 14th uh, of, of last year. 11-19 uh, and 19, uh, during the season heading into the WAC tournament. Uh, what sort of things went right for you as the head coach uh, your first year at the Wolverines? What sort of things could have gone better? Yeah, no, great question. I think some of the things that went right are that our players got better this year. They improved. They got better individually. Um, we won some big games. We, we had some great road wins at UAB, at North Dakota State University. It's the only game they lost at home this year. We almost beat Kentucky um, at, at their place. Um, the improvement areas that, that, that I'm focusing on as a coach are, we lost some, but they were very close. A loss by one point, a loss by two, an overtime loss. Um, and it's really, there were, I, I haven't looked at this, but there are probably between five and 10 games that were, you know, a really slim margin. And so as a head coach, I can get better, n number one, on things. And, and one of the realizations that I came to is that, you know, when you look at a close loss, and after the game, I, I can never sleep. I'm up all night. My wife knows. She just knows I'm going to be up all night. <laughs> Sometimes like, it keeps her up. Sometimes I go in a different room. <laughs> but you watch the game, and, and there's so many things that go into winning. You know, just look at a basketball game. You have rebounding, you have shooting, you have free throw shooting, you have defensive assignments, you have, you have transition defense. You have, you can make a list as a coach or a player or, or a media member of, of 20 different dimensions. But, you know, what, what I realized is I, I want to pick the four or five most important dimensions. Defensive rebounding, transition defense, um, defending the three-point line. You know, and there's a few other buckets and silos that, that you look at and you say, okay, we've got to be great at these five or six things and we've got to drill it every single day in a way that's fun for the players. And, and so, and in a way where the players remember it because there's nothing worse than just drilling five or 10 things every day and it becomes the most monotonous thing for the players. And then sometimes it can be counterproductive. And so you've, ultimately you got to get results, but, 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 you know, it's choosing those dimensions of things and just getting better at them through repetition. Now is head coach Mark Madsen the same as mad dog, the player, what are the similarities and the differences <laughs> between your playing style and your coaching style? It's, it, I am different. Um, as a player, there were times when sometimes I just, you know, and, and really any player, they, they want to make their presence felt. They want to be a physical presence. They want to hit someone. They want to make a power play. They want to make a finesse play. You know, as a coach, deal with, dealing with great young men, um, you, you know, you want to give them space to express their talents, to uh, achieve their potential, to be pushed. And at the same time, if there's anything that seeps into 
our practice environment, our game environment that is not team first, um, then I have to take a stand as a head coach. There were times this year where I suspended players. There are times when I had players leave practice. Um, and, and I actually am a coach. I feel that I have a pretty, I, I don't, I, I have a pretty long leash with players because I was a player. Um, and I understand what it, what it means to be in the heat of the battle. But at the same time, there's some things that as a head coach, I cannot and I will not tolerate. And, and so that, that is one aspect of my coaching style to the point where, you know, and I say this hesitantly, but I don't care if it's my best player, you know, because you have to maintain a culture. You have to maintain a culture, a culture of, of winning and all the things that go into it. Stanford fans obviously saw a lot of great moments from you. I'm class in 97. You, you really hit your stride in your career uh, for the next few years after that. Uh, a lot of great moments, a lot of memorable moments that, that made you the mad dog. What about the moments that fans maybe didn't see in, in practices, maybe, you know, just by yourself, you know, off the court? What sort of moments in those kind of situations helped form the mad dog? <laughs> Well, I, I think one of the great things about sports, Troy, as you know, is um, it teaches you so many things. I think sports, um, especially at Stanford, it kind of started watering the seed inside of me of becoming a better communicator. Um, when you're a player, there's always going to be times when you're mad at the coach. And when you're a coach, sometimes you're going to be mad at a player. And you have to figure out how to work it out and how to coexist. Um, I'm sure there were times when Mike Montgomery, he had to get after me for different things. You know, and I remember some of them in particular, and, and I'm grateful that he did get after me for those things. There were a few times when I was frustrated with, with Coach, Coach Montgomery. And I remember, I remember it was probably my, no, my senior year, I, I said to myself, I have to have the courage to go meet with Coach and to express my frustrations and my feelings. And, and you know, it was really my senior year when I had that experience probably for the first time where there was really something that was burning inside of me and I wanted to address it with coach. And we walked up the steps of Maple's pavilion. We walked around the corner and, and I just, I got some stuff off my chest and, and he listened, he listened intently and he thanked me for it. And he encouraged that type of communication going forward in the future. Also, he expressed some things also um, additionally. And so that was, that, that was a really positive experience. I remember Jason and Jaron Collins who are, who are dear friends of mine to this day. There was a time early on when we butted heads on, Jason and I butted heads on something early on. Look, you're down there in practice every day. He's hitting me, I'm hitting him, and, and, and there's going to be little pieces of friction here and there. And, and, and Jason and I early on, we hashed out a couple things, and then you're stronger because of it. You're tighter as a group. You're, and and you, you, you learn how to communicate. And so those seeds of communication that, that started to – blossom and flower at Stanford they I mean they still had a, a long ways to go and in the NBA they, they, they started blossoming more and even even now as a head coach I, I'm working on becoming a better communicator um, with the players um, you know every every generation is different you know my generation of player we kind of could you, you know in high school college AU team the coach could just blast us and we just said okay we, we got you you, you know we're, we're going to run run through a wall or whatever the case may be to today's group of players. And I give that I give today's group of players credit 
They want to know why. They want to know the why. Oh, you want us to run them out? Why? Well, it's not, it's not basketball specific to condition. So you explain, hey, the reason why we talk about running a mile is we got to see how mentally tough you are. It is aerobic versus anaerobic. But, um, you know, if you're, if you're in good anaerobic shape, sometimes there's a crossover and you get into physi physiological things. And so sometimes I'm learning to explain the why more because today's player wants to know the why. I respect that. I, I respect that. I love it. I think it's a great thing. Of course, I think a lot of Stanford fans respect that 1998 squad. Uh, just, a, just a magical year from, from start to finish, the incredible streak to begin. Uh, Chris Weems hitting the three up in Seattle at the buzzer uh, to beat the Huskies. Uh, Six-man <laughs> club going nuts all throughout the, the winter and the spring. What, what was it about that team that was able to make it all come together and to – I mean, look, Stanford had been successful the previous years, but – but, but this team was able to find a way to take it to a whole different level that program had never been to before. What was it about that team that was able to reach and, 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 to, and, to, and, to, and, to, and to grasp things that that program had not been able to previously? Well, I mean, I think it all started with Mike Montgomery. I'll start there. I mean, first of all, we ran, we ran really sound, a very sound offense, an offense with all types of counters. Um, and so from an X's and O's standpoint, it, everything was – very, very well thought out, and it worked. Um, secondly, again, Mike Montgomery, he had done an amazing job um, recruiting. I mean, to bring in Brevin Knight to, to Stanford, to bring in Jason and Jaron Collins, to bring in Josh Childers, to bring in Casey Jacobson, and, and then some guys that kind of flew under the radar, and, and David Mosley is a name that comes to my mind. David Mosley was a huge contributor to that team. Uh, in particular, in the, you know, in the run to, to the Final Four. Um, he had some big shots against Purdue. Um, Ryan Mendez, Chris Weems was a steady hand. And then, and then the obvious ones, I mean, Arthur Lee. Mike Montgomery used to always talk about, we're gonna need some individual performances. And I don't know if there's been a guy in the, in the history of Stanford basketball that has embraced pressure and come up with huge performances bigger than Arthur Lee. I, I don't know, you'll have to go back and look, but I don't know if he missed a free throw in the NCAA tournament that year. He may have missed one. He had some crazy streak going from yeah. the free throw line. Yeah. That's performing under pressure. Um, you know, one of our great team leaders, Pete Sauer, he, he was a guy who had a unique ability in the locker room to just bring everybody together, to get guys laughing, to, to make things fun. Um, Pete died. Pete died. Uh, Probably eight years ago, he, he was, as, as you know, Troy, he was playing in a pickup game in, in New York City with, with his group of friends and um, had an issue, I think, with his heart and, and he, he dropped dead. Um, I, I've had a few teammates that, 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 have, that have died and it, it spent so much time with, with a Pete Sauer, you know, with an Eddie Griffin from the Minnesota Timberwolves it makes you reflect. Take me back through that final minute against Rhode Island and just how nutty it was. Art Lee coming through in the clutch. Uh, <laughs> and he was fouled. Bob Murphy yelling that and screaming it after you dunked it down and you did your little celebration thing. Uh, take me through that final minute against Rhode Island as best as you can remember. Well, you know, it's funny. I rewatched that a couple years ago and, and, I mean, it brought back a lot of memories. And I just, I watched Arthur Lee. 
you know, we were down, what, 13, 14 with three or four minutes left, something like that. And the game felt like it was getting away from us. I was in the game. Arthur was in the game. And, and there was a timeout. And Mike Montgomery came, came to us, looked us in the eye. And, and he just, he, you felt, I mean, he got after us. He said, keep on playing. Keep on going. Come on. I mean, we're down 13 with three and a half minutes left. It, you, you almost, you know, that, that little feeling starts to creep inside of you. Hey, this game might be over. But Mike Montgomery had so much fire. So he expressed the fire. And then Arthur Lee, I mean, he's a guy that always kind of has fire. So, so Arthur Lee goes out there and just starts making plays. You know, in basketball, you got to have a guy that can just make some plays. And, and that was Arthur. And so Arthur nails a jumper, nails a three. You know, I can't remember, you know, I can't remember the exact game book of exactly everything he did, but he, he started scoring a ton. He's, he's dumping passes to guys. All of a sudden, it's close. Then he gets a deflection in the backcourt. The ball bounces right to me. I go up and, and dunk it. Um, and, you know, I think there was just so much excitement for the team. And it, it, was, it was a great comeback. And really, you know, it was, it was every single member of the team. You look at the bench, there was excitement. But, but Arthur Lee was the catalyst. I mean, Art just kind of put the team on his shoulders and, and said, we're going to get this done. And, and it got done. Yeah, and I'll, I'll never forget uh, meeting the team. The bus is rolling up in front of Maple's Pavilion that night when y'all came back from uh, St. Louis and, and just the, the absolute celebration uh, that ensued. <laughs> and then the next thing you knew, everyone was in San Antonio for the final four. Uh, what do you remember from that day? I know uh, uh, CBS Sports Network replayed that game against uh, Kentucky um, last week, and it was the first time I've actually had a chance to, to see it in at least maybe 20 years or so. That lone call on the dunk by, by Paget really still kind of irks me a little bit. But, but, but what do you remember from that experience? I'm sure you know, it would have been great to get the win, but, but overall I'm sure you also felt great in the grand scheme of things about how things went and what it took to get to that point. After we lost the game, we came to the locker room and Coach Montgomery said, guys, hey, we lost. We're all disappointed, but what a great basketball game for college basketball is what he said. It gave some consolation. To, to this day, Troy, I've never rewatched that game. Um, you know, and maybe I will. Maybe I will during the shelter in place. But, you know, I, I, what I remember from that game were mistakes I made. You know, to this day, I can I, – I, I, I almost don't want to watch it because I remember one mistake I had where Shepard gets loose for a three. And had I done my job just a little bit better to help Chris Weems, he wouldn't have gotten the three. We drilled it every day. I mean, I knew what I was supposed to do, but in games, sometimes there's slippage. And, and that's a little bit what I was talking about earlier in the podcast of just drilling stuff every day so that when the games hit, there's not slippage. But look, everybody did a lot of good things too in that game. But, but look, it slipped away. Um, it's funny this year we played against Wyoming and their head coach, Alan Edwards was on that team as a player, hmm. you know, Scott Padgett is he's, he's in coaching. Um, there, there's a lot of players that you, you know, I didn't really know any of these guys, but your paths cross later and you kind of know each other just from the competition and, and it's fun. You, it was fun watching you play, you seem to have a lot of fun uh, on the court. And, and sometimes you watch players, sometimes you even watch coaches who don't really seem like they're having a lot of fun out there. Uh, to you, how, how big is, is joy? And how, much, how, how important is, is having 
fun? How critical was that of, of a component uh, to playing this game in your mind? You know, we talked a lot about the term joy at the Lakers for during my time there as an assistant coach, Luke Walton. That, that's a big uh, core value of his is, you know, you, why, do, why does anyone play basketball as a young kid? Because it's fun. Because it's fun. Um, and then you get into pressure. You know, maybe some players feel pressure from parents. Uh, maybe some players feel pressure from themselves, from coaches. I, I never felt any pressure from my parents. I would play bad and my parents would come up to me after the game. They said, hey, you know what? Great defense out there. They, they would find something minute that I did that was good and they would praise it. So I never felt pressure from parents, but I felt a lot of pressure from myself. Sometimes too much, you, you know, sometimes it was bottled up, um, you know, but, but the joy piece is so important, I think, for players um, and for the game. Now it's, you gotta find the balance because there's joy, but there's also accountability. One of the great things that sports teaches is accountability. Um, hey. You missed a rotation. That was my fault. I messed up. I'll do better next time. And then that's something that is a society lesson. You know, I mean, I haven't played basketball game on a court in a while. You know, I'm getting older. I have arthritis in my feet. My feet ache after I play. I wear Crocs nonstop because they're soft and feel good on my feet. But, but some of the lessons you learn on the court, they do translate into real life. You know, when you make a mistake, hey, you tell the person, hey, I really messed that up. I apologize, um, but, but joy is, is so important. I think it's important for players. As a coach, I want, my, I want the players to feel joy. Um, because look, when you're a player, you have a lot going on. You, you have a social life, you have academics, you have family concerns. And look, everybody, most of the time in life, has something really hard going on in their life. You, you know, and it's unseen and you don't know what it is. So. The court is a place where you can kind of escape as a player. And look for the fans, too. They can escape. I miss watching NBA basketball right now. Yeah. This is the NBA playoffs. We miss March Madness. I mean, that, that's a fun escape. You know, if, if my son's mad at me, if my two-year-old's mad at me, and I don't know why he's mad, he's, he won't talk to me for three days because I'm, you know, I'm trying to tell him, hey, you can't act a certain way when certain things don't go your way, and then I'm the bad guy. You flip on a game and you forget that, <laughs> you know. Yeah, things had to change around there just a little bit. Uh, I, I would, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you uh, about Kobe Bryant. Uh, obviously, he was just elected into the Pro Basketball Hall of Fame over this past weekend, the class of 2020. Um, what did you learn from him? What more and maybe even more importantly, what do you think he learned from you? Well. <laughs> I don't know if Kobe learned too much from me, but I'll try to answer that. Um, but what did I learn from him? Let me start with that, Troy. I alluded to it earlier that the seeds of becoming a better communicator that started to sprout a little bit at Stanford. Um, I, I, first of all, I have so much respect for Kobe. It just, you talk about a guy that gave effort at all times. Not, a, not every NBA player gives effort at all times. Some guys get caught up in off the court issues and nightlife and whatever else. Kobe always gave effort when the game started, when practice started, and the preparation he gave effort. He was there, you know, five in the morning getting shots, seven in the morning before anybody else, before anybody else at games. And so Kobe had so much talent. He worked so hard. Um, 
you know, I'll, I'll never, but Kobe pushed you so hard. Kobe pushed me so hard. Sometimes I didn't know if I could be pushed that hard. Sometimes I was probably ready to break, to snap. Um, not probably, I was. I was close because I just had never been pushed in that way so hard. Sometimes it felt like it was too much. Um, there was one time we were in the playoffs getting ready for the San Antonio Spurs, and it was, it was a 10 a.m. shoot-around in preparation for a 7 p.m. game. And look, there was a lot of pressure, a lot of pressure, a lot of pressure on Kobe, a lot of pressure on Shaq, pressure on the coaching staff, probably less pressure on me because I, was, I wasn't playing as much. I was, I was still playing um, a fair amount that year, but – we were going through the triangle offense, just skeleton five on O, and I made a cut. And and look, the cut was sound. Um, the triangle allows for a lot of reads, and it wasn't the cut Kobe wanted. And, and maybe, maybe, maybe Kobe. Anyway, he was one. He was in one position. I was in the other. He didn't like it, and he went at me hard, hard. And the whole group waited for me to respond. And the truth is, I didn't know what to respond. I didn't know what to respond. I'd never had a teammate come at me that hard in that way. I didn't know what to do. And so I, I said nothing. Now I did address Kobe after practice, but it was short, but, but I just went home, you know, how do I deal with this? What do I do? We have a game, we're teammates. So I got there early and I, I said, Kobe, can we talk? And this took guts for me. This took guts. I mean, I'm, I'm telling a superstar, I want to talk to you. In, in the side room, which is kind of like the unwind room where people just went for privacy. And I walked in there. Our team psychologist was in there. I was so fired up. I, our team psychologist was a cool guy, George. I said, George, get out. <laughs> <laughs> and just so it was me and Kobe in the room. And, uh, and we talked. And I hashed it out. I said, look, I didn't like this. I didn't like that. And, and I brought up some other things from the past, too. And he, he listened. I mean, he really listened. And he said, I hear you. You, you know, I hear you. And he was great. He was awesome. And we went out there and we won the game. And, and, and we had a good vibe on the court. But it was, you know, so I learned with Kobe to have thicker skin. I mean, Kobe just wanted one thing. He wanted was what was best for the team. He, he, for whatever reason, he, you know, he, he wanted me to do something else. And we had a miscommunication. And it took, it took guts and courage for me to, to, to communicate with Kobe in that way. And, and so... I learned about excellence from Kobe, pushing yourself to be the best from Kobe. He led by example. And I learned how to have thicker skin. And I learned how to come back and, and resolve that and be on the same page and be ready to move forward. No relationship is perfect but with anybody. But I, I love Kobe and I respect Kobe and, and I miss Kobe. Um, as a side note, you know, I saw the team psychologist the next day. <laughs> George came right up to, hey, man, are we good? Are we good? I said, yeah, look, I was a little fired up. <laughs> Sorry, I said, get out. <laughs> All good from there. And, yeah, Kobe certainly uh, will definitely uh, be missed. One of the all-time greats. There, there's no doubt about it. A couple last things uh, for you here. Maybe a little off the grid somewhat. Uh, Tanner McKee, uh, Stanford football quarterback, uh, just got back from his uh, LDS mission in Brazil. That's something yeah. you know a little something about. You served your mission uh, in Spain before beginning your Stanford athletic career. What are some things, maybe physically, maybe mentally, if, if you had to sit with and, and, and talk to Tanner and, 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 and chat with him about what the road for him is going to be like in the months ahead as he tries to, to get into, into football shape, 
But what were some things that you would tell me? What were some things that you remember from your experience uh, getting back into the fold after your mission? Yeah, well, I mean, obviously, I'm ex- you know, it's, it's awesome that Tanner is, is getting back from his mission and that he's, he's ready to start his athletic career. This is an exciting time for him and for Stanford. Um, you know, if, I, if, if Tanner and I had the opportunity to get into a protracted conversation, I would, I would share with him my experience, which is, you know, athletically, it took me 18 months to recover from being on a mission. Now, in a mission, you grow in other ways. You, you grow, look, you grow spiritually. You grow, you get outside of yourself. You, you grow um, in maturity. You, you really grow a lot in those ways. Now, physically, there's atrophy because you, you have very little time to work out. You know, it's just, you're not there to work out. Um, I think you also come back and, and you realize, hey, as important as basketball is, you know, it's not the end of the world if you lose a game. You know, now you got to learn from the loss. You have to grow from that. But timing, timing will will, will take time. Uh, I'll never forget coming back from my mission. I, I walked across what's now the football practice field. Uh, it's amazing how Stanford campus has changed and just they've upgraded. The facilities are amazing. But, but I walked across that field and I went to the weight room and they started testing my body fat. They started putting me through warm up drills. I could barely breathe going through the warm-up. And Mike Montgomery looked at me and he looked at the strength coach and said, look, you got two months to work off all that baby fat. <laughs> you know, and, and but I'll never forget just going through the warm-ups. I was winded. I was winded. And it was it was embarrassing. It was embarrassing. But you know, you you develop a baseline on your mission of maturity and of strength in other ways. And then it comes back and it helps you a lot in sports later. All right, let's wrap it up on this. Uh, first year as the head coach, Utah Valley in the books. What's on the plate from here? What are your overall goals? What do you want to see from Utah Valley uh, with you at the helm over the next few years? Well, I mean, I view this game, it's all about the players. And we got some great players last season, some great ones. And they're returning. And so I love the players we have coming back. And then recruiting, we got you know four or five open scholarships. I got to go get some more great players. Um, we, we you know I'm technically I'm not allowed to talk about recruiting, but we've you know if people look on social media, different players have announced they're coming to UVU. And again, I can't get into detail, but but it's exciting because we haven't been able to formally announce it. But I've, I've still got a couple other guys. I'm I'm hammering. You know I need them here at Utah Valley. <laughs> um, you know when I took the job. I said it, Troy, at my press conference, I said, I want to put up a wall around Utah and get the best Utah players. But at the same token, I want to go to LA and get the best players out of LA, New York City, Atlanta, the Midwest. And so we're doing that, you know, we're doing that. We're, we're trying to get some great players out of Utah and we're trying to recruit nationally as well. Yeah, looking forward to seeing uh, what you can do. Who knows, maybe uh, Wolverine's Cardinal, maybe a home and home. Let's see, <laughs> let's see what happens there. What do you think? What do you say? <laughs> hey, Stanford has a great team. Hopefully at some point in the future we can, uh, we can get a game. <laughs> well, Mark Madsen, one of the all-time greats for Stanford men's basketball, uh, doing fantastic things uh, with Utah Valley. Can't wait to see what uh, happens there. Mark, thanks a bunch. Really appreciate the time. Best of luck. Stay healthy. Uh, Best of luck to your family, and hope to talk to you with you again soon. Troy, thanks a lot, man. I enjoyed this. Have a great day. That, That was fun.
That was fun, wasn't it? <laughs> what, what, I loved watching him play. And, and that, was, that was a lot of fun talking to him and, and getting his thoughts, his look back, um, the, the honesty about, you know, hey, all athletes have ups and downs. And he ter- certainly takes some of his experiences uh, navigating some of the ups and downs that he had throughout his playing career, uh, both collegiately and in the NBA, uh, to his current job as the head coach of uh, Utah Valley. So let's see what happens with the Wolverines. I'm definitely going to be keeping a special eye on them in the WAC uh, when college hoops uh, gets uh, gets back up to speed. But man, that was that was a lot of fun. Mark didn't didn't watch the rebroadcast of the Final Four game against Kentucky. I was a little reluctant to do so as well, but but I did check it out, and it was a lot of fun to to see a lot of guys that I hadn't seen in quite a while with Art Lee. And Chris Weems, David Mosley, Tim Young, Pete Van Ellswick had some moments at times uh, throughout the course um, of, of, of that year. Mike Montgomery on the bench, his fire. Boy, that, the old ticket 1050 sign <laughs> along the bench. Man, that thing took some beatings during some games at Maples Pavilion. But it was, it was really cool to be able to see that, even though the end result um, taken by itself uh, disappointing to be sure. Uh, I'd forgotten that Stanford had actually had a had a fairly sizable lead, double digit leads at points over Kentucky uh, throughout that game. I'd actually forgotten about that. Man, it would have been cool to see to have seen Stanford advance to the national championship game. But what we actually did see still remains as as a high point in Stanford men's basketball history. And look, Cardinal have had better teams. They've had better teams. 2001 certainly comes to mind. And 2004 maybe was better. But that 98 squad, that 98 team, they will go down forever. And they will live forever in Stanford Athletics lore. And so will Mark Mad Dog Madsen. That was fun. That was a lot of fun. Really enjoyed uh, our, our chance to catch up with him. You've got thoughts, you rea- you've got reactions, I always welcome them. You know I try to be as interactive as I can possibly be on this show. Hit me up on Twitter, hashtag TreeCast, hashtag TreeCast. You want to hit me the follow? That's cool. Won't turn that down. At Troy Clarity, last minute spelled C-L-A-R-D-Y, at Troy Clarity. And oh, by the way, if you want to advertise on the show, podcast becoming more and more a part of people's listening habits, as more and more people are spending time at home, <laughs> more and more people have, have a bit more free time on their hands. I'm certainly one of them. You want to advertise on this show, you're probably going to have a lot more ears on this than you might think. Uh, head to Believe.com, B-L-E-A-V.com, B-L-E-A-V.com. There's an advertise section. and tell them, hey, I want to advertise on the TreeCast with Troy Clary. I would certainly appreciate that, and I know they would as well. Um, you might want to be with us for next week's TreeCast. Our scheduled special guest, Stanford football head coach David Shaw, just had that confirmed earlier on Wednesday morning. So I'm looking forward to chatting with Coach early next week, and we will bring that interview to you as quickly as we can. David Shaw, our scheduled special guest on next week's TreeCast. Be there. Until then, big time thanks to our special guest from this week, Mark Madsen, all-time Stanford men's basketball great and current head coach at Utah Valley. 
Biggest thanks obviously goes out to you for joining us on the show. Don't drink and drive. If you do, you're the dumbest person on the planet. Stay safe. Stay healthy. Stay home. Stay home. We'll see you next time. Thanks for checking us out on the TreeCast with Troy Clarity, presented by the Believe Podcast Network.